Life servant is the empty cross is a symbol of Jesus' victory over sin, over evil, and over death. The cross is significant. We look at the cross. There's a focus of the cross. Our, our life is all about the cross. People wear crosses on their necklaces. But the thing is, we have a cross in front of us, a cross outside. It's all about the cross because that's where the, the sacrifice was made, and that's where Jesus had victory. That's where he overcome death. That's where he overcome the, the, the sin issue. And that's where he took our sin upon his shoulders. That's where he was conquered the grave. And without an empty tomb, the cross is meaningless. When you look at the sacrifice that Jesus made and you look at everything about the cross without the empty tomb, all of that is meaningless. Jesus did a lot of things while he was on this earth. He performed a lot of miracles, but without the empty tomb, all of it's meaningless. Without the resurrection, the sacrifice that Jesus made has no value. Without the resurrection, Jesus is just another misunderstood teacher. He's just another misunderstood religious leader, but the resurrection changes all that. Let's look at a few things. Let's bring a few things closer to home. I want you to think about a few things. It's easy to forget or overlook the details between the last breath that Jesus took hanging on the cross and the first breath in his resurrected life. There's a lot of events that take place in between that. I want to share that with you this morning. You think about it. God orchestrated events throughout history. Man, God orchestrated a lot of events coming up to Jesus' birth. And we talk about that toward the end of the year coming into Christmas. But God was working. He was orchestrating things. And at the exact same time between the, the cross and the resurrection, God is orchestrating a lot of events that take place. I want you to think about some things. Think about some dates in your life that you remember. I want you to think about specific dates in your time that you remember. Nobody forgets their graduation from high school. Nobody forgets their graduation from college or grad school. Nobody forgets their wedding day. Nobody forgets the first time their child is born or any of their children's birth when they're, when they're going through that. Nobody forgets these things. But do you remember these events that take place at the same level for the days that follow? Do you remember them all at the same significance as you remembered the day that it took place? When we read the Gospel of Matthew, we look at the final days of Jesus' physical life while he was here on this earth. We look at what he went through. You see the unforgettable scene in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's laying prostrate on the ground praying for God to remove the cup if it was his will. But he specifically said... Your will be done, not my will. We see in the, the garden, if you study in Matthew, you see in the garden where Peter thought that he needed to defend Jesus Christ by taking out a sword and cutting off a soldier's ear, that he thought he needed to defend Jesus. We read where Jesus goes through six illegal trials leading up to the crucifixion. We see all of this was, was leading up. We ultimately see that he was beaten, that blood was shed, that he went to the cross, that he was crucified, and ultimately death would follow. Now let's look at something important. After hanging on the cross at 3 p.m., Jesus said three words. What were they? It is finished. He didn't say, I'm finished. He didn't say, you're finished. He didn't say, God's finished. He said, it is finished. He's referring specifically to what God had sent him to do. It is finished. But let me ask you something. Do you remember what happened at 3.30? Do you remember what happened at 4.30 or the hours that occurred after the death and before the resurrection? Because there was a lot of things that were taking place during this particular time. You might think, well, Brother Kerry, 
Jesus Christ made the sacrifice on the cross, and he arose from the dead. And that's, that's basically all I need to know, and that's important, that's significant, and that is very important. He was raised from the dead, but all this comes together. God was still working and orchestrating events from the time Jesus took his last breath in a physical body until he took his first breath in the resurrection body. And that is all significant this morning. We frequently talk about the death and resurrection as the plan of salvation, and rightly so, because it is. It's the way God's perfect plan was orchestrated. It's the way God's perfect plan come together and how God wanted to save mankind from their sins. He wanted to bring us to himself, and that's exactly what Jesus Christ did on the cross. But there's more important lessons, and there's just as important lessons and knowledge that we can gain from understanding exactly what took place going up to the resurrection. When we think about what took place on Friday, and we call it Good Friday. We call it Good Friday because there's a sacrifice that Christ made for each of us because he changed the trajectory of our outcome of our life, because he provided a way for us to have eternal life in heaven. That's why it's Good Friday. It wasn't very good for him from what he went through from a physical standpoint, but it was good because God's mission was completed on the cross. But there's a lot of things that take place from the Jewish leaders scurrying around. You think we're going to talk about that, but a lot of things took place before that, and we're going to uncover that this morning. Matthew 27, verses 45. If you were able, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? Matthew 27, starting in verse 45, says this. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me or abandoned me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick and offered it him to a drink. But the rest said, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. But Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Certainly the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And they came out of the tombs after his resurrection, entered the holy city, and appeared to many. When the centurion and those with him, pay attention to that particular thing, when the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they were terrified and said, truly, this man is the son of God. Many women who had followed Jesus from Galilee and looked after him were there watching from the distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. When it was evening, a rich, man named, a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph came, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. He approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then Pilate ordered that it be released. So Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean, fine linen, and placed it in a new tomb, which he had cut out of the rock. He left after rolling a great stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were seated there facing the tomb. The next day, which followed the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that while the deceiver was still alive, he said, After three days I will rise again. So give orders that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, 
his disciples may come and steal him and tell the people he is raised from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. Take guards, Pilate told them. Go and make it as secure as you know how. They went and secured the tomb by setting a seal on the stone and placing the guards. Pray with me, please. Father God, I ask that you bless the reading of your word. Father, I ask that you cleanse me of every sin, cleanse me of every impurity. God, I ask that you hide your servant behind the cross and allow me to deliver your message to your people. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. want us to pay close attention to three important points in this passage of Scripture. I know there's a lot of Scripture. There's a lot of things taking place. But I want us to pay three, uh, attention to three things that are recorded in Matthew's Gospel. First, when you come to the dead end of all hope, when you think you're at the end of the line and you think you have lost all hope, I want you to remember what happened to Jesus. I want you to remember what happened to Jesus right after he died. There's a lot of importance in what we're going to talk about. Most people who walked away from the tomb were not walking away with any hope. People give up hope. That's the last thing they give up with. But you think about the people that saw Christ die on the cross. You think about those people that he had talked to. You think about the followers. Most everybody that walked away from the cross did not walk away saying, he's going to be raised. He's coming back. It's just a matter of time. Most of them had lost all hope. You think about the disciples. They had all scattered. Man, Peter had already denied Christ three times because of of what he said he would do and what he actually did. They were there was nobody that had hope. They, none of them were saying, hey, remember what he said about the temple. If you destroy the temple, I'm going to rebuild it in three days. No, nobody had that. Nobody was saying that he's going to be back. When you think about it, they had all lost hope. All the disciples, but John had scattered and was hiding. The women at the cross were crying and it had what had taken place. The violence that they had seen and the wicked rulers that had murdered the Messiah were worried about somebody stealing his body. It wasn't enough that they had crucified him, but they were worried that somebody had, was going to steal his body and that the deception was going to be worse the second time than they appeared it was the first time. It seems that nobody was hoping for a resurrection, even though Jesus had told them what was going to take place on multiple times. Amen? And nobody was saying, hey, there's going to be a resurrection. Just wait three days. Sunday's coming. Man, you think about Friday was a dark day in history, and nobody was, was thinking about, well, just wait till Sunday. We're going to have a resurrection time on Sunday. That's not what was taking place in your own life when God seems to have let you down. Look at what he did immediately after the death of Jesus and before the resurrection. That's where you're going to put it to work. That's where you want to look at. Look at what God did. When you look at your own life and you look at things that are taking place in your own life and how difficult things can be, look at what God was orchestrating in. And what he did. Let's look at this. He provided a rich man named Joseph and Nicodemus, who both were members of the Sanhedrin. They both were members of the same council that had just convicted Jesus and put him to death. They were members, but they had become followers of Jesus Christ. He provided this rich man to make sure that Jesus wasn't simply dropped into some common grave. When you think about it, they had to be taken down off the cross before sundown on Friday. If their families did not claim the, the, the crucified individuals, the soldiers would just throw them in a ditch to rot. 
I mean, they were just to be taken in and thrown in a ditch. This was definitely not something that, that should be done. People who were traditionally buried in their family tomb, but Jesus' family tomb was over a day's journey away, which would have been Joseph, his earthly father's tomb. There's a timeline there and there's a distance there, but they had to be taken down before Friday. If they weren't, they would be buried in a, in a, a ditch, and definitely this was not where the Savior of the world needed to be buried. Amen? God provided several curious women for a reason. He said he placed those women at the tomb so that they could see that Jesus was placed inside the tomb. They were witnesses to the fact that, that Christ was dead, that he was wrapped in burial cloth, that Joseph and, and uh, Arimathea and uh, Nicodemus had wrapped him in these cloths. And, and there's studies and there's, there's scripture that says that he had 70 pounds of spices wrapped around him when they wrapped him in him and placed him in the, uh, in the tomb. And that is just the beginnings of what would take place. But God provided that. He provided them as eyewitnesses. It's clear in reading God's word that they're working behind the scenes for the purpose, even though his followers couldn't see it. God was moving and he was working every single minute. Let me ask you, show you something. When you lose a family member and you feel hopeless because they've gone on to be with the Lord. Let me tell you something. When your family member dies, nothing of God dies. Nothing of God dies, only the physical body. Same thing with Jesus Christ. When he died, it was just a physical body. He was standing in the presence of the Father. Same thing with your family members. God, who is powerful during the life of your loved one, is also powerful in your life today. He's still there. You can count on him. You can rely on him. You can trust him. Things are different this year than they were last year. People are, are not with us this year that were with us last year. But God is still in control. You can still rely on him. You can count on him. You can trust him. Second point, when you think you know someone who's too far gone to believe in Christ, when you think they're, they're way too far gone, I want you to remember the centurion. And the Bible says those who were with him. The centurion, you're talking about a Roman soldier. You're talking about somebody who had no remorse for hanging somebody on the cross. You're talking about a Roman soldier who had no remorse for beating somebody within an inch of their life, nailing them to the cross, watching them die. You're talking about somebody that had no remorse for that, somebody who could care less what happened to him. You're talking about somebody who would take them down off of the cross and throw them in a grave. That's the kind of person that God changed in an instant. Amen? He can use anybody and he'll change anybody. If a hardened, tough-minded Roman soldier could believe and become aware of the truth, so can anyone. Remember Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. They were wealthy members of the Sanhedrin, the same group that had just crucified Jesus Christ. Think about a person that you've been tempted to put on your forever lost list. When you think about your own family, you think about people, maybe a roommate in college, maybe one of your sons or daughter, maybe a parent, maybe a spouse or a former spouse or a close friend, someone you say is too far gone to come back to Jesus Christ. They're stone cold to the gospel, but I want you to take time to remember him or her before the Lord. If God can speak through a centurion, if he can change a centurion, he can change anyone. Don't give up on them. Lastly, when people try to come up with a plan to stop God, remember what happened at the resurrection. 
Remember what happened, like the soldiers who sealed the tomb and locked it inside. And the, and the scripture says in Matthew that, that Joseph and, uh, and Nicodemus rolled a stone in front of it. But then the soldiers went back and sealed that tomb. And in the, in the 1045 service, we're going to talk about the sealing of that tomb. But they sealed the tomb. Remember when people try to, to counteract what God is doing. Remember what happened at this particular instant. Mankind cannot do anything that's going to change God's plan. Man, how foolish we are to think that scientific facts and data and and worldly issues are going to change what God's plan is. Let me tell you something. God has made a plan that Jesus will return a second time, and no matter what happens, no matter what's done in this earth, no matter how bad it gets, he's coming again. Amen? Amen. God can split the temple veil from top to bottom. That is significant. We're going to talk about that veil At the 1045 service. But God will split the veil in two from top to bottom. He can bring an earthquake. He can bring darkness over the earth. And he can bring people out of the grave. In in your own life. I want you to think about everything that's stacked against you. And against against your faith in Christ. And never surrender. The followers of Jesus evidently did not take seriously the predictions that Christ has made. Because he told them I'm going to return. They, they didn't take seriously what he had said to each one of them that was going to happen or they would have acted different on Friday. They would have acted different on Saturday and they wouldn't have been surprised when they found the tomb empty if they have took what he said seriously. I want us to remember that when we're experiencing something difficult, we must keep in mind and rely on the resurrection because the resurrection is the focal point of everything that we believe. It's the focal point of God's unconditional love. God loved us so much that he sent a Savior to this world to live 33-plus years, to walk every single step toward the cross, to go to the cross willingly, to, to stay up there because of the love that he has for us. Jesus went to the cross because it was the mission that God had sent him here to do. He stayed on the cross because of the love that he has for us. He could have, he could have petitioned God, let's do it a different way, but he didn't. He said, because of your will, because this is the love that you have for your people, I will stay on the cross no matter what happens. I don't want to be there because of the separation that's going to occur between you and I for a period of time. I don't mind the the pain. I don't mind the beating. I don't mind giving up this physical body. I don't mind enduring all the things. I don't want the separation that's going to take place, but because it's your will, because I love people, because I love the creation, I'm willing to stay there. And God loves each of us so much that he's offered heaven as a free gift. Man, heaven's a free gift. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We deserve hell. We don't deserve what God has laid out for us. But there's, it's very simple. John three sixteen says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's love. That's unconditional love. It's called agape love. He loved us so much he sent Jesus Christ to the cross. Ephesians 2.8 says this, By grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Man, man is a sinner. We're all born with a sinful nature. It comes from Adam and Eve. Sin came down through the generations, and we're born with that sinful nature. We all have it inside of us, but God provided an alternate plan for us. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin is a barrier. We can't get to God because of sin. He can't get to us, so he had to provide a way to solve that problem. He sent Jesus Christ to this earth to provide a a relief for us so that we could have access to him. Romans 10, 13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord 
Shall be saved. Let me tell you something. Easter Sunday is a big day. It packs the church. A lot of people come into to the house. But let me tell you something. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Maybe you've never heard that before. Maybe you, you feel like you're too far gone. Maybe there's somebody in your family that's too far gone. But the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's the best news ever. I mean, that's, that's the best news ever. If you, if you turn your life over to Christ, he'll write your name in the Lamb's book of life. Maybe today you want to make sure and know without a shadow of a doubt that you're going to spend eternity with Christ in heaven. Because let me tell you something. When this life is over, we have, there's only two places that we're going, and that's heaven and hell. And the choice we make on this earth determines where we will spend in heaven or hell. Romans 10.9 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. All you got to do is invite him into your heart. Make him the Lord of your life. Turn your life over to him. Let him control it. Let him lead you. Repent from your ways, which means turn from the ways of the world and turn toward Jesus Christ. He says in the Bible that if you do that, he's just and he'll, he'll forgive you and he'll save you. In a moment, we're going to have a hymn of invitation. We're going to have a hymn of invitation just for a moment of, of time for, for reflection. And our, our musicians and song director will come up and we'll just have a time where it's just a vertical time. We're going to sing one, one, one or two courses of, of, scripture, or of the hymn. But the thing is, this is a time when you reflect with Christ. This is a vertical conversation when, you, when you're just talking with the Father. You're not looking around. It doesn't matter who came. doesn't matter who didn't come. doesn't matter what you're wearing. This is a time when you get right with God because of the resurrection, because he went to the cross for us, and he didn't stay in the grave. He came out of the grave. God raised him from the grave. But if your life isn't tuned with that, if your life isn't right on schedule with that, if God isn't leading your life, this is your opportunity to change that right now. Whatever it is, I'll be down front. If you want to hear more about Jesus, I'd love to share with you about Jesus. If you want to come to the altar and lay something at the feet of the cross, you just bring it on down. Whatever the issue is, this is your time to come before the Lord and to share with him what's on your heart. Father God, I come before you this morning. God, I just thank you for Resurrection Sunday. God, I just thank you for the love that you have for people. God, the fact that you would send your son to this earth first, to walk on this earth second. God, to perform miracles third. And God, to go to the cross to pay the sacrifice, sin debt on my behalf so that I could have a relationship with you. And God, I pray if there's one person in the sound of my voice that does not know you this morning, God, I pray that this morning would be the day they turn their life over to you and change their way. God, we lift it up to you. We thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for the resurrection. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.